Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We don't email, we text, that's what we do, okay? So, but we're obviously in a corporate setting, we, we email, and that's, 
again, so that for me, that's, that's very new, and, and that's, a, that's a lesson that I have to make sure that, um, that I learn. Secondly, another lesson I've learned so far, being a 24-year-old, is to never be in a rush. Never be in a rush. I remember one time, I was, I was in Faith Baptist Canoga Park, and I remember I was, I was going to be late to the Wednesday night evening service. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm in a rush. So I put my suit on. I think I just woke up from a nap or something. So I, I'm, I'm going, and, and it's L.A., so it, it's so crowded. I'm coming um, out, of the, out of this neighborhood onto a street to turn left. So I have to pass this um, strip that's going this way. So I'm waiting to see if there's anyone coming here. But it's hard because there are cars that are parked along the side of the road. So I'm looking. I don't see anyone. So I go out, and I, and I see this car coming straight at me. I got T-bones. I have a picture of my accident, actually. Do you have that picture up there? Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I was fine, though. I honestly felt like James Bond because I was, I was wearing a suit, and I come out of there like, you know, I, I couldn't use this, or I came out of the, the other door. And, man, I, I, I was fine, you know, glory to God. But the reason why I was in, it, that happened to me because I was in a rush. So now I tell myself, like, hey, don't. You better wake up earlier. You better not take a longer nap. Never be in a rush. Because um, that's, that's not worth being in a rush for. Okay? Your life isn't worth being in a rush for. But that's, that's another thing, though. And lastly, um, one lesson that I'm learning right now as a young adult, and I think a lot of us are learning as young adults, is that things take time. Anything worthwhile in life takes time. And I think we, we live in a culture that has been so instant. That, that, that gratification is instant and, and satisfaction is instant and, and you want a relationship that's already super healthy right away. But if, if there's any truth in life that's so true, everything in life will take time. And that's personally something I'm, I'm learning right now. So tonight, we're going to try to answer the question, hey, how does God change a life? An old adage goes like this, and you might notice, we are saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. We are saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. James says um, that faith without works is dead. So if I'm going to have a faith in God, there has to be something that, a work that accompanies with that. But it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make it uh, better, but if I have true, sustained and, and what he's doing, my, my life will show it. If I'm saved, my life will begin to change. Second Corinthians 5, 17, you know this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things are become new. But here, here's a question I'm going to start off with this evening. Is it possible, though, is it possible that someone is saved, someone attends church, goes to all the services, does all the, all the events that a church provides, but their life does not change? Maybe privately. Maybe more intimately. In, in a sense where no one sees. Is it possible that a Christian doesn't change, doesn't grow? Here's my question. Why do some Christians, they, they've been in church their whole life, but their life has not changed one day? Why is that? 
Why is it that so, sometimes I, I, I grew up, I went to a high school, we had eight, we had uh, a graduating class of eight people. And the truth is, only two of us go to church now. Only two of us do. We, were, we grew up in a Christian school, and, and why is it that we heard the same sermons, we heard, we heard the same preaching, we, we, we were mentored by the same people, but in reality, some people just don't change. I've seen these people, my classmates, they, man, I'm, I'm saved. And, but then they, they, they go ahead and they start to stray off into their own life. Why is it that some people, they're, they're, they claim to be saved, but their life hasn't I believe what's going on is that people trust God to bring them to heaven, but they do not trust God to, to lead their life on this earth. There is a disconnect from being, hey, I'm a Christian. What, what does that mean? Oh, well, that means I'm going to heaven. But that's all that means to them. That's all that that means. I'm a Christian. Oh, so Christianity now is now, it, 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 it's a ticket to heaven, but it, it's not a lifestyle that I live. That's interesting. We live in a culture that doesn't really need God. I don't need God. I, I, I'm well sustained. I have a good job. I make a lot of money. And when I'm in the deepest of depths, if when I'm going through something, when, I'm, my, when my life is broken, we live in a culture of individualism in which it's up to me and only me to fix my life. Romans 7.1, I want you to see what Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. As long as he lives. To understand what Paul is talking about here, you need to understand the context. The church in Rome were mainly, were mainly made up of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. The Jewish Christians, those are the ones that knew the law. They followed the Torah. They were from the, the Israelite lineage, but they were followers of Christ. But they believed that their rule following has made them worthy of God's acceptance. They, they believe that, hey, because I follow the 613 laws of the Torah, you know what? I think I'm fine. Uh, you know, because I, I, I'm from the lineage of Abraham, I think I'm okay. I, I followed the rules. But, so this is why Paul reminds us in Romans specifically, he takes the great pains to tell them, as it is written, there is none righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become profitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. This is why he said in Romans 3, for all have sinned. For all, we've all sinned. So it doesn't matter that you followed your rules. The problem, your, your rules aren't going to change your life. It's interesting, I think we live in a, in a time where self-help is a, it's a, it's a big thing. I've read a lot of self-help books. So they've honestly helped me. Okay, they've helped because I, you know, I self, you know, I'm self help. Okay, so they've helped me self help. Okay, um, and Atomic Habits. And I, I read a few, and they've helped me. Some of the rules are like, hey, drink chamomile tea at 10 p.m. at night, and make sure you exercise at 6 a.m. in the morning. Here's the truth: you, you and I try to add rules. 
or systems in our life, and it's not bad. But you and I understand that no matter how many rules I have, no matter, no matter how many systems I have in my life, if I have not dealt, dealt with the problem of sin, that I, I, my, my life cannot fundamentally be changed. Paul speaks to the Jews and reminds them that no amount of rules, 10 rules, 613 rules, can actually change who they are. We, here's the truth. We cannot change our own lives. Like I said all the time, we cannot change who we are. You cannot fundamentally save yourself. I heard a quote growing up, and I think it's, it's, very, it's very true. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. I think sometimes we try to save ourselves. And so, yeah, Jesus has been, he is my ticket to heaven. But when I am trying to fix myself and trying to be better... I can do that apart from God. I just need to make more money. I just got to fix a better schedule. When in reality, in order for my life to be changed by God, I need to understand a few things here that I cannot change and save myself. So tonight, we're going to explore this question, how? I believe God can change lives. Do you believe that God can change lives? I've seen him change some of my friends. I, he's changed me. He, he, he's dealt with my sins. He's dealt with the very secrets of my life. He, he has changed me, and I believe he can, he's still in the life-changing business today. So that's not the question. The question is how. Why is it that some people change and why do some people don't? That's what we're going to explore now. Number one, we're going to look here in the passage that we just read. We're going to look at the picture of Christianity. The picture of Christianity. And this is something, uh, I like illustrations. Paul gives us a really good illustration of what Christianity is supposed to look like. So, looking at verse 2, for the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So, what is, what is he talking about here? He's talking about a woman and a man. So, he's like, hey, you want to know what Christianity is like? It's like marriage. Who's married in here? Okay, so I'm not, I'm not married yet, but maybe you guys understand this more than I do. Okay? He says, Christianity is like a marriage relationship. But what does that mean? He says, when you were born, you were born married to the law. You were under the dominion of the law. What, what does that mean? My relationship with the law is a binding one. The, the design that God had for marriage was one man, one woman, for a lifetime. I, I can't just say, no, I'm, I'm done. No, it, it's for a lifetime. And this reflects my relationship to the law. I, I'm, I'm bound to the law, and I can't do anything to be separated from the law. The law of sin and death. That, in chapter 6, that's what he was talking about. I cannot do anything for myself to be separated from this. So, the only thing that could separate or, or uh, separate a union, uh, a marriage union, is death. Just recently, Jessica and I, she's my girlfriend, we went to her brother's wedding. And there's, and there's five words that happens typically in every wedding, and it's till death do us part. Till death do us part. The only parting 
from a married relationship is death. This is, this is what Paul would say. So you were born married to the law, but the only thing that you can dissolve that union, the only way, is through death. What does that mean? Well, the law can't die, so that means I have to die. Wait, what? I have to die? What does that mean? Jesus died. And so I identify with him. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans in chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that light as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. The Bible says in Galatians, for I am crucified with Christ. So what is the point of Christ's work? Jesus died for you and me so we can identify with his death. So that when I identify with his death, I am, no, I am now dead to the law. Now the law can't touch me. I'm not, no, no longer in union with the law. I am, I am dead through Jesus and what he did. Maybe some of you guys are um, history fanatics, but who believes they know who killed Abraham Lincoln? Anyone? John Wilkes Booth. Okay, so I only say that because some people have like different um, opinions on that person. But I, John, John Wilkes Booth, historically, the story of John Wilkes Booth, he is the one who, who, um, who murdered Abraham Lincoln. He was in the theater, he shoots him, and then he, he jumps off, he breaks a leg, and now he's, he's scrambling, he's going away, he's running away. The story ends here. John Wilkes Booth actually dies. Before John Wilkes Booth gets caught, he dies. So it's interesting, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a silly illustration almost, but you and I, aren't, they weren't going to dig up John Wilkes Booth's grave and then put him on trial, right? They wouldn't do that. Why? Because he's dead. And this represents what happened in Jesus. You and I died with Jesus, and now the law of sin and death, we are no longer, we can no longer be touched by law because we are not in union with him anymore, I am dead, I am crucified with Christ. I identify with what Jesus did. So I died with him, and let me tell you, I also was raised up with him. I was raised up into newness of life. That's what the Bible says. And so now, I am, I am dead, but I have been raised up, and now, the Bible says, look at verse 2 again. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So now that I'm dead, now I am free to marry Jesus. Verse 3. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Look at that. That ye should be that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. The very purpose of my death and resurrection in Jesus is so that I can now be married to Jesus. So tonight, if you are saved, you are in a marriage relationship with Jesus Christ. It is as if the Holy Spirit is the one doing the ceremony, and would you uh, so lawfully take Jesus as your spouse, and you say, yes, I do. Because I have died with him, and now I am married to him. It's very interesting, and Romans is so deep. 
So that's why, I mean, uh, I died so I can fucking marry you. Okay, so that's number one, the picture of Christianity. Number two, we're going to look at the purpose of this relationship. The purpose of this relationship. We're going to answer the question, hey, why am I a Christian? Verse four, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. I can say that one more time. That we should bring forth fruit unto God. I was I'm Googling some things. Pastor Thompson asked told me to look at some, some of these things, and it's pretty funny. But um, some kids were asked specifically, hey, um, what exactly is marriage? Okay, so I have a few testimonies here. Um, Eric, he's a six-year-old. Hey, he, he was asked, what exactly is marriage? He goes, marriage is when you get to keep your girl and you don't have to give her back to her parents. Okay. Right, that's one way to say it. He's six years old. Um, another question was asked, hey, how does a person decide who, you, who they should marry? How do they know that's the, reason, that's the person they should marry? Callie, nine years old, she said, you flip a nickel, and heads means you stay with him, and tails means you try the next one. Okay? That's what Callie said. And Caroline, she's eight, she said this, my mother says to look for a man who is kind. So that's what I'll do. I'll find somebody kind. Kind of tall and handsome. All right. So it's funny, when, you, when I read these things, everyone has their own reason why um, they get married. So maybe a lot of you guys here in this room are married. Maybe you have your own reason why you married the person. It's interesting that when I look at the Bible, and when I look at what Paul is saying here specifically, is that the very reason why we're married to Christ is for one reason alone. It's so that we can bear his fruit. The reason why I'm married to Jesus is so I can bear his fruit. I think we get into this um, problem when we're witnessing the people, and we kind of, hey, do you want to be happy? Hey, 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 do you, do you want to live a better life? Do you want, and we start to put purposes of marriages. But, but in reality, the, the only and main reason why we have been in union with Jesus is to bear his fruit. What is this fruit? This is the fruit of Christ's likeness. It is the fruit that I bear because of my intimacy with Jesus. The more I spend in this marriage relationship with Jesus, the more I bear his fruit, the more I become like him. The more I change. Practically, it's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more I love. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more joy I have. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23, meekness, temperance. And what does it say? How does that end? Against such there is no law. You know what you know what they're saying in Galatia? Is that this this matter of bearing fruit of love, joy, and peace, and all of those fruits, it's not something that you can do through the law. It is only something that you can do through Jesus. Through my relationship with Jesus, I can bear these fruits. Through my intimacy with him. Against such there is no law. So it's not a matter of, you know, I'm gonna be more loving. No, I'm gonna be more joyful. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. No, are you spending time with him? Or do you see him as a do you see it as a marriage relationship? And those things will naturally come out of your marriage relationship. 
Last thing here is the problem with our flesh. The truth is, that's the purpose of our marriage. Our purpose of our marriage is to be, to bear its fruit. But the problem, there's a problem that we face, and we find that in verse 5 and 6. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in unison of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. This is a little harsh, but, but it's true. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible, is it possible to bear fruit with someone who's not your spouse? This. And this is what Paul is saying. You have, you are dead to the law. You are not in union with Jesus. Why are you still bearing fruit with the law? Why are you still in your sin? My relationship with Jesus must bear fruit, and that's the purpose of it. So am I, am I bearing fruit with him? It is the same with us. If you are saved today, you are no, no, you are no longer bound to the law. But while we are here on this earth, it is still possible for us to bear fruit with one who is not Christ. But with the law of sin and death, I can still bear fruit with someone who I am not wedded to. And this is the reality. In, in, in the latter of um, Romans 7, you see this struggle that Paul is uh, is is struggling with in, in chapter 15, verse 15, Romans 7, 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For that I would hate, but I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I can send into the law that it is good. Hey, this is something I struggle with. There's still something inside of me that, that wants to do bad things. There's still the dominion, the power. It's still possible to bear fruit with someone who is not my spouse. In our flesh, we will bear fruit unto death. While we are on this earth, we will be battling our sinful desires. It's, it's a struggle. So, so don't pretend like, you know, I'm, I'm okay now. This life that I live on this earth is supposed to be a life lived with Jesus. So that I don't, so that I don't bear fruit with the one. So, this is the problem we face. One day, we will exclusively bear the fruit of Christ. And this will be in heaven. Amen? But what do I do until then? What is it that I do until the day that I have Christ's exclusive fruit? If the goal of my life is to become a clear representation of Jesus, how am I supposed to begin that change into his image starting today? How is God going to change my life today? And, and understand this, again, it's not by your rules. It's not by the law, primarily. It is through the relationship with Jesus. One day I will be like Jesus, but today I'm still like me. So how do I get from point A to point B? I think this is the point of the message, and we're almost done. So... Following Jesus demands a lifestyle change. I think today we see a generation of Christianity that is very shallow. And I'm not necessarily saying this church, but this is our generation 
of America. We see a generation of Christ followers that come to church, but do not follow Christ after it. Their life with Jesus stops at the doorstep of the auditorium. Maybe with some young adults, their life stops at the worship night or the worship experience, but it doesn't bleed into their Monday or their Tuesday when they're in their room by themselves. For others, their life with Jesus stops when they, once they've given their tithe, once they've completed their work for the ministry. Hey, listen, RJ, I'm done with my part for the week, for the month, so I need Jesus to stay away from my actual life. I believe some of our lives today have not changed because we have disconnected the gospel from our daily life. We may have trusted Jesus with our eternity, but we have yet to trust him with my life today, with my finances, with how I talk to my spouse, with how I treat my friends, my enemies. To many Christians, Christianity is just a ticket to heaven instead of a person that I do life with, that I'm married to. We sang a song today, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. I think sometimes we forget the person of Jesus. We come and we say, okay, this is a, this is a, oh, I, I love, I love singing about Jesus and, you know, I give my tithe and I do, I serve. But Jesus wants to know you personally. He wants to live with you. He wants to grow with you. It is a person that I love, not just, not just a ticket to heaven. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. So if we're going to answer the question, how does God change your life? This is the answer to it. I believe that God changes a life through a moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus. Moment-by-moment-by-moment. God changes me through the cultivation of my life with Jesus. It's through my walk with God. I grew up, and my pastor would be like, hey, you're going to be walking with God, RJ. I'm like, what does that mean? What do you walk with God? Well, let me ask you, what does it mean to walk with anyone? Jessica and I have taken some walks together, and I, I never, like, go faster than she does. Or, you know... I, 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 I almost just walk with her with every aspect of my life. With, with the moments, I step. And this is what Jesus wants to, to do with you. He wants to live in your life. He wants to be your spouse. He wants to bear his fruit through you. But this is, this is what happens. We meet God here at the doorstep. We say, I'll see you next Sunday. We leave, him, we leave him here thinking that, that he will change my life. But that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. Do you really want God? Do you really want God to change your life? Or do you just want God to change your Sunday? Do you just, do you just want to change your Wednesday nights? That's just another thing added to my schedule. Fundamentally, God wants to change who you are, not just what you do. He wants to change you from the very inside. You were born 
It reminds me of the passage in John 15. But listen, listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. I want God to change my life. If I want him to change every single aspect of my life, I need to give him all my life. I need to give him every part. And it's not instant either. I love, I love coming to the altar and making decisions on Sunday. I do. I, I, I grew up with that, and I think it's very much needed. But I think if we, if we don't think about it, we put so much emphasis on one decision. When in reality, life, life is made up of many decisions. So this decision here on this altar is not going to mean anything when you don't decide the same thing tomorrow. When, when it, that decision, and, and I'm not trying, when I was saved, I was saved once and for all. I cannot be unsaved. God says that no one can pluck me from his hand. Understand that. But if, I, if there's any hope of changing, if there's any hope, I have to give him more than just one decision. I have to give him, I have to give him all my decisions. He wants to be part of every single aspect of your life because you're married to him. He's not just an acquaintance. He's your spouse. Do you want God to change your life? Give him your life. And I was thinking about how to really illustrate this. And I remember growing up, I, I'm not very artsy at all. I'm not. I could draw stick figures, per se. But um, I just remember getting a post-it note. Okay? And I would try to draw on that post-it note, and then I would draw on the next, next post-it note, and I would draw on the next post-it note, until I would finish the post-it note, and I would do this flipbook thing. And I think, it might be a simple illustration, but I think it really does illustrate how God can change our lives. Why? Because He changes our lives moments by moment, page by page. It's not just one page that I give him. I have to give all my pages. All of them. And so I have a video of a, um, some cool flip book I found on YouTube. So uh, let's, let's show the video really quick. Until you're done, it's finally finished. Finally finished. So here are the first two pages. So he like, was a lot younger, and then the final one is like really good. So. I think he was like 10 or something. This one, maybe I think he was like 18. Pretty good. And man, this guy, he was pretty impressive. Cool. 
I mean, cool. But I really do believe if I, if I start to understand how God changes my life, it really is somewhat like this. I, I really need to be able to give to him every single page. Because, let me tell you, he, he doesn't just want to know about what you do on a Sunday. He, he genuinely wants to hear what's going on on your Monday, how you're dealing with your coworkers on your Tuesday. If, I, if, I, if there's any hope of God changing my life, I need to live with him. I can't segregate him to when it's convenient. I can't just, you know, he's, yeah, he was my Lord and Savior when I got saved, but he's not my Lord and Savior right now when it's, when it's, it's kind of inconvenient for him to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus wants to be the Lord and Savior every single day, moment by moment, so that you can be changed into his image. I want him to be part of my life. So here are some closing questions, and I'll be done what part of your life, your week, your day, have you yet to give to God? Maybe it's a certain day, maybe it's a certain, it's a certain thing that you do on a certain day, maybe it's, it's a certain moment. God cannot change a life that has not been given to him. And more practically, when, I, when it comes to abiding with Jesus, this is where the rubber meets the road. Not just today. I mean, obviously, we're, I'm glad you're here today. And I mean, you guys are the Sunday evening crowd. So you love Scripture. Okay? So you, you know, you know, man, I, I really want to grow in what Scripture says. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you building a life, a pace, a schedule that allows for abiding? Or is, is your schedule allowing for you to abide with divine. I think sometimes we're just so caught up and we don't, we don't even think about God. But let me tell you, God wants to be part of your every day, of every moment. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends make family. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. I want to give, I want to give everything to Jesus. It is as if he is the author of your life. He has a pen. And I have a pen too. And a lot of times with the, with the book of our life, instead of giving it to God so he can write it, I just tend to write it my, 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 myself. I, I just want, I want, I want to write this. I want to be the author of my life. It is not a matter of the law. It is not a matter of fools. And they have the place to have boundaries. But fundamentally, if I want to be changed by God, it is going to be through Jesus, through my life with him. And may we live a life that that gives to him every single moment, every single page, so that he can change it for good. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.